Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. You thought, are we even allowed to do that in church? You thought, are we going to open the Bible? Are we just going to watch this movie today or what's the deal here? How are we going to spiritualize this? Uh, bottom line, you probably enjoy a Christmas movie or two during this season. Maybe you're watching online uh, this morning, and uh, you, you maybe you maybe Home Alone's a favorite movie for you. Maybe for you, uh, White Christmas. Maybe for you, It's a Wonderful Life. There's a, a lot of movies that we tend to watch during this season, and for our family, uh, Home Alone is one of those kind of favorite movies. Uh, it's one of those movies that we find ourselves, even when it's not Christmas season, uh, kind of pull, kind of turn, I was about to say pulling the tape out and putting it in the VCR, but that's a long time ago. But, but we find ourselves kind of watching this movie, even when it's not necessarily the Christmas season. And if you are not sure about what Home Alone's about, and most of you have probably watched it a million times just like us, basically it's about this little kid named Kevin, who you saw up on the screen, who, who lives in a, a fairly dysfunctional family. And uh, he has, the, the movie opens up with him, man, kind of having a really tough time with his family. He has a tough night with his family to the point where he says, you know what? I wish my family would just disappear. I hope when I wake up that they're not even here. And to his uh, I don't know if it was surprise, excitement, maybe a little bit of terror, a little bit of everything. He wakes up the next morning and you see the scene there and his family is gone. They accidentally left him home alone when they went to France on a vacation. And so he enjoys it. Uh, he enjoys those first few days. In fact, man, he, he enjoys eating all the stuff that you're not supposed to eat. And he, he just has a great time. He, he fends off the neighborhood burglars. And, and man, he has a lot of fun with that. But after a few days, he begins to realize that, you know what? Being alone is overrated. You know, not, not having my family around, I thought this is what I wanted, but man, this is not really what I wanted. This isn't as good as I thought. And maybe for you, you look at Kevin's family and you're like, dude, that's JV compared to the dysfunction in my family. Maybe you have a family situation where you understand what it's like to, man, have some real awkwardness and not necessarily look forward to going to the holiday gatherings you, you know what it's like in your family to even maybe have all the people in the room but still feel very alone because relationships in the family are just not what you would have hoped they would be. And maybe for you, you, you understand not necessarily what it's like to be alone physically, but you understand what it's like maybe to be in a family where you feel very alone. Uh, you feel very alone. You feel very misunderstood 
Uh, maybe you're in a family where, man, you, you wish things were different, but, but we all know this, that you don't have to live in a dysfunctional family to know what it feels like to be alone. You, you don't have to kind of be like Kevin McAllister to understand that feeling of, man, waking up and, and not, no, no one's really there, whether they are physically or not. We, we all know what it's like to be alone. Maybe you're a high schooler. And this has been a tough year for you in high school. And, and for you, man, you were hoping that it was going to get better, but it's just not gotten better. And you, man, you feel alone at school. You feel uh, anxious about things. Maybe for you, you had a diagnosis that you expected to get better and you hoped would get better. And it hasn't moved forward. It hasn't gotten better and you find yourself feeling alone in your disappointment. Does anyone understand? Maybe for you, you had a dream for your family and for your career, and it just hasn't played out the way you thought it would play out, and you're kind of at a loss. You're in a spot where you don't see a solution. You're in a spot where there's waiting, whether it's something with your family, something with your health, and and you're in a spot where if you could fix it, you would have fixed it a long time ago. If you, would, if you could change it, if there was a magic wand that you could make the bad go away and make the aloneness go away and make the anxiousness go away and, and fix the relationship, you would have already done it. But you're in a spot where you're not sure what the solution is. And it doesn't help that while you're waiting, while you're struggling, while you're feeling alone, you see everyone else's highlight reels on social media. And it just makes what you're going through even tougher because it seems like no one else probably understands because their life doesn't seem to be going like your life. And if we're not careful in those moments where we feel alone, in those moments where we're not sure what the next step is, in those moments where we feel isolated, we begin to come to some conclusions that aren't good. And maybe some of the conclusions that you found yourself going to in those moments, or at least tempted to go to, is, you know what, is, is God absent? I mean, is he, is he, is he even around? I've been praying. I've asked God to change this. I've, I, I feel the same way I felt last year. Is God absent? Or maybe it's not absent. Maybe it's just apathetic. Maybe God could just care less. And you find yourself in that moment of aloneness, in that moment of anxiousness, in that moment where there's not necessarily a solution that you can point to. And you feel like, God, are you, do you even care? Or God, are you angry? Maybe you're just mad at me. Maybe, maybe it's not that you're apathetic towards me. Maybe you're punishing me. Maybe you're angry with me. Maybe there's something I've done and this is kind of your payment to me. And you find yourself starting to have some of these thoughts and you maybe even get to a spot where you start to ask, is this worth it? God, I'm trying to do things your way. I'm trying to, I'm trying to lean into you. I'm trying to, to lead my family in a way that pleases you. And yet, God, this prayer hasn't been answered. We're still struggling in this area. We still, man, are, are anxious. I, this hasn't gotten fixed. And God, I just, honestly, I just tempted to maybe throw in the towel and do something else. Because I'm not sure that I should even keep trying. And it's, it's in this tension 
and we've all felt it, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or somebody who is kind of investigating faith for the first time, we've all felt this feeling of aloneness, of anxiousness, not knowing what's coming next, not being able to fix the thing that's hurting. We all have felt that. And and it's in this tension that we move into the Christmas story, and it really is the backdrop for the Christmas story. This same tension that we feel in our lives is the same tension that was the backdrop for the birth of Jesus. And, And here's what I mean. God had clearly promised to Israel thousands of years earlier, he had clearly promised to them that there would be a Messiah, that there would be a Messiah that would come and would take what was wrong and make it right, take what was hopeless and give hope to it. And they had been waiting and had been waiting and had been waiting and trusting in promises that were made literally thousands of years earlier. And now they're in a space where it has been 400 years since they've heard from God. The prophet Malachi finished up, and and we have Malachi in the Old Testament. and, And from Malachi and what we have in the Old Testament to when we heard from God again was 400 years. And so these people that had been waiting, these people that had been trusting in promises that were made thousands of years earlier, were waiting. And and all throughout the history of the Jewish people, there was always a remnant. There was always a small group of people who waited for God to fulfill his promise. And they did it generation after generation. There was a lot of people that went the wrong way and a lot of people that didn't believe God, but there was always a remnant of people all throughout the history of Israel, a remnant that trusted that those promises that were made thousands of years earlier would one day be fulfilled. But now they find themselves in a space where They feel alone, discouraged, without hope, because not only have the promises not been fulfilled, but they literally haven't heard from God for over 400 years. And there's a guy in the scriptures, he wrote part of the scriptures, his name is Luke, he was a doctor. And Luke, he writes an account, and he tells us specifically in this account of an older couple who had experienced tremendous loss and waiting in their own life, but were also part of that faithful remnant that even in their waiting personally and in their struggle personally, they were part of that group in Israel that still believed in the promises of God, even though they had not heard from God or had not seen God move. And Luke introduces us to them in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, It says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. So so Zechariah, he is, his profession is he's a priest. He's in in the eighth kind of priestly division. There were several divisions of priests. He was in the eighth division. His name, interestingly, it, it means Yahweh, which is a name for God, has remembered. So Zechariah, he's a priest. His name literally means that God will remember. Yahweh will remember. 
And it says this, that his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Aaron was also uh, the very first high priest for Israel. So not only was Zechariah kind of part of the priestly line, and he was, he was part of a, he, that was his profession, but his wife also was a descendant of Aaron, which was the first priest. And so it says this, as we kind of hear a little bit more about them, it says, both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. And so we find out that this, this older couple who's now, man, they, I mean, the way the scripture says it is, hey, they're well along in years. They are well past the time when you would even think about having children. I mean, they spend their off time at the senior center playing shuffleboard. Like this is where they are in life. They're not at the park with, you know, playing with their three-year-old or two-year-old with the young families. They're well past when you would have a kid. And they're, they're people that even though they have been, wanted a kid and been praying for a child, they, they have been people that have honored God with their life, but yet they find themselves older, well along in years, kind of in that last season of life, and no children. And, and in this day and age, you know, that it would be different than it would have been back then. See, because back in this time, when you did not have children, they were looked at as people that were cursed by God. So children, having children and having land was looked at as a blessing of God. And, and so to be someone that did not have any children, that wanted children and had tried to have children for many, many years they would have been looked at as people that, man, they must have done something wrong. Obviously, God's not happy with Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. They must have something in the closet that they ain't telling everybody about because if, if, they, if they were good with God, they would definitely have kids. And so, so not only were they not able to have children, and, and this was obviously emotionally tough for them, it was also socially kind of painful. They were probably talked about in, the, in circles, you have somebody in the corner talking about them and why they don't have kids, and it was maybe whispered under the radar. And if you've ever had that happen to you, you know that's, man, no one wants that for their life, but yet people were like, hey, why are they not having kids? Something must be wrong. What did they do that no one knows about? And they're in a spot where they've been doing things God's way for decades. They've been following God's path. They've been believing God. So God, why? Why, why wouldn't you give us kids? Like, what, what did we do to deserve this? See, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were faithful people. They were some of that remnant who were believing God and trusting in promises that were given to Israel 2,000 years earlier. Some of those promises we, we find in Genesis chapter 12, it says this, it says this is, this is what kind of they were, they were trusting in, and this was something that had been told to Israel thousands of years earlier. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
Verse 3, it says this, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So now Zechariah and Elizabeth are coming to the end of their life. The son they prayed for never came. The God they believed in seemed silent. They believed these promises, but their, their God seemed silent. There were probably moments when they wondered, God, where are you? Are you listening? Do you care? And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're watching online and you, you've maybe, maybe you wouldn't admit it, but you'd say, you know what, Chris, I've had those thoughts. I've had moments in my life where I've wondered, God, do you care? God, are you, are you listening? God, where are you? And they're in that spot in their life where they're coming to the tail end of their life and all the things they had prayed for and believed in and put their trust in just didn't seem to be fruitful. Amid what probably seemed like God's silence, everything was about to change for this couple and for Israel. It says this, Luke tells us in verse 5, when his division, so Zechariah, when his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. So every single division of priests would serve for two weeks a year at the temple. And so it was there it was Zechariah and kind of his group, it was their turn to serve. And so they were going to serve at the temple. And out of all the priests, there was always one person that would get to go inside and, and perform some very special things. And, and this would usually happen to a priest maybe once in their lifetime. Would they be chosen to go inside and to, to do some special incense and different ceremonies? This was not something that, like, if you got this opportunity, this was once in a lifetime, huge honor, and Zechariah, his number got called. So Zechariah's group is, is there, they're serving, and now Zechariah, his number gets called, and he gets to go inside and do what he'll get to do one time in his life. And that's where he's at. That's where he finds himself. And it says this, At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was, were praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, to, to Zechariah, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. This is kind of like standard protocol in the Bible. When you see an angel you're scared. Uh, you, you, it doesn't tell us. I mean, maybe he had to change his whatever he was wearing, but I mean, you are scared to death. And if you read through the scripture and anytime anybody interacts with an angel, it's not like, hey, how are you? How was your week? It's like terrified. And so Zachariah, he's doing his thing. He's the only one. Everybody else is outside praying for him and doing their deal. And he's inside. And this is an honorable thing he's doing. And all of a sudden, there's this angel there. And he is scared to death. And it says this. It says, when Zachariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. And this, this is what the angel said. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. 
this was also standard protocol. Probably when angels were trained in heaven, they were told, hey, when you first interact with humans, they're going to be scared to death. So before you get, give them a minute and just tell them not to be afraid because they're not even going to hear what you're going to say at first because they're a mess. And so he says, he's, the angel, he says, hey, don't, don't be afraid. And it says this, it says, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. So, so you're telling me that God was listening all those years when I was praying and I wasn't sure God heard me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Be, because your prayer has been heard, the angel said. It says, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. Man, you guys are going to have a son. It's, you're going to name him John, which was a little weird because you didn't, John was like a random name that had nothing to do with their family. And usually there was always a tie to somebody in the family, a lot of times the dad. And so, all right, going to name him John. And then it says this, it says, let me, t- and kind of the angel's like, well, now that I gave you the news, let me tell you a little bit more about this kid, John, you're going to have. He says in verse 14, There will be joy and delight for you. Many will rejoice at his birth. Okay. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He'll take a a Nazarite vow. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. The angel says this. He will turn away. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. He will go before him. See, back in Malachi, which, if you're new to the scriptures, is the very last book in the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says that there would be, there was a prophecy that said, hey, before the Messiah comes, Someone will go before the Messiah and prepare the way. And so this angel, whose name's Gabriel, and we know that in the scriptures, there's two angels that that were actually named. There were two angels that you see in the scriptures that were given names. One was named Gabriel, and one was named Michael. And so this is Gabriel, and he says, hey, you're going to have a kid. His name's going to be John. He's going to be important. He's going to prepare the way for him. For the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So he says he, he's going to go before the Messiah. So you've been praying, Zechariah, you, you've heard me, t- you know, we've, we've talked about this Messiah's going to come and you haven't heard from God for 400 years and, and, and well, that Messiah's going to come and your son's going to be the one to just go right before him and kind of prepare the way and tell, he'll be the guy that tells everybody that he's coming. That's what your son's going to do. It says this, and really good question that, that Zechariah, who again, he's on his like off times at the senior center playing shuffleboard. So in his mind, the whole having kids thing hasn't probably been on the radar for a while. And so he asked a a simple question. How can I know this? Like, is this, is some of this incense just getting in me and I'm just hallucinating? Like what is going on here? Because 
are, are you saying what I think you're saying? <laughs> Zechariah asks the angel, and he, he just says the obvious, for I'm an old man. And he, he was a little nicer in how he described his wife. He just said, she's well along in years. He said, I'm old. She's just well along in years. So you know how it all works. It usually doesn't work when you're old and well along in years. And, and, and so Zechariah, again, he's a man of faith, all that stuff. But he's just like, you know, stuff starting to, he's figuring stuff out. And he's realizing, man, how is this all going to happen? And I love how Gabriel responds very patient because Zachariah is having trouble kind of comprehending this, which, you know, rightfully so. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. So he's like, you know what? You should probably believe me because I actually am hanging out with God. I actually got, the, I know it's confusing and all that, but you know, and I know if somebody else came and told you this, this would probably be like, you'd be a little like, is this guy shady? What's going on here? But I actually hang out with God. And so you should probably just trust me on this one. And, and I, I probably this is you know, going to work out. So you just, just believe me, man, because I'm giving you a message from God. And verse 20 says, now, listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. So because you kind of doubted and because you needed a sign, you weren't sure, I'm going to give you a sign and you're not going to be able to talk until this baby's born. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. I love this right here. In their proper time. See, God may have seemed silent, he may have seemed inactive, but he wasn't. These events, they're going to take place exactly when he planned them to take place, when he planned them before the foundation of the world was created. God wasn't up in heaven like, you know what, it's getting pretty messy down there, maybe we should do it now. All right, what do you think? What do you think, God? Is it as good a time as ever? No, no, no. God had this planned out before the foundation of the world. And, and when Israel, and when, when and maybe you've experienced this, when, when we think, God, what's going on? God, I, I don't understand. God, you seem silent. God, we prayed and this didn't happen. And Oh, and now this thing happens. See, God's orchestrated all this. And it will take place when it's supposed to take place. And, and this is what the angel Gabriel says. He says, hey, this that you've been waiting for, this thing that, that the nation has been waiting for for thousands of years, it's going to take place at the time God meant it to take place. Not a second early, not a second late. Because God is God. And that's what he tells us, Zechariah. And so... While that, all this is happening inside, all these people are outside waiting for Zechariah. Like, man, did he get lost? What is taking the boy so long? And, and, and look, it says this in verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. Like, Zechariah is really spiritual. He is, he's hanging out there. He's taking advantage of his one time in a life to do this. And it says this, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. 
Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. Poor, poor Zechariah. You see him, he comes out and they're like, dude, what took you so long? Elizabeth's like, wait, man, the roast is going to be burnt now. Come on, man, where you been? But then they realize, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Something happened in there because Zechariah looks different. There's something that happened. There's something that happened inside. And Zechariah, he can't talk. So he's like, you know, doing his thing, trying to explain it to people without being able to talk. And it says this, when the days of his ministry, when it was kind of his, his group of priests, when they were done with their work, when it was completed, they went back home. Verse 24, it says this, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. And as incredible as this was for Zechariah and Elizabeth, think about it. They've been praying for probably a kid for years. They probably are at a spot, and it doesn't say this, but, but I would guess they're at a spot where they may have just stopped praying for it. Like, they're older now. Like, obviously, God wasn't going to do this. But now Elizabeth, she gets pregnant, and this is such an incredible thing for them. But the very next verse reminds us that this is actually just the warm-up. Like, this miracle that Zechariah and Elizabeth are experiencing this miracle that, that the friends of theirs and family members are experiencing, the disgrace that Elizabeth carried for years because she couldn't have a, a kid that has now gone away. I mean, all this great stuff is happening, but then in the very next verse, the, Dr. Luke reminds us that, hey, this is just the warm-up. We haven't even started or got to the good part yet. Luke says this, he says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the chapter ends by just telling us, hey, Gabriel had another assignment. He had another message to give. He had another family to interact with. This young lady named Mary, who was a virgin, and her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, who she was engaged with. And as we kind of move closer to Christmas, and it seems like the month of December kind of starts slow, but then it just kind of moves, and before you know it, we'll be here, you know, doing our Christmas services, and it'll move quickly. And as, as we kind of move closer to it, no matter where you find yourself, whether you're somebody who is a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're somebody that you'd say, you know what, I'm kind of investigating faith, or maybe you at one point in your life were involved in church, but man, you've kind of walked away, and you, maybe it's been a decade or two since you've really been connected, and you're kind of, kind of reconnecting to your faith a little bit. No matter where you find yourself, maybe you can relate to Zachariah and Elizabeth's story. Maybe you're in a spot where you're waiting. 
Maybe you would even say, whether you would say it out loud, but maybe you would even say inside that, that you feel distant from God. Maybe you come to church on a regular basis and on the outside things look great, but inside there's, a, there's something inside of you and you, you feel like, man, you, you've asked yourself the question, is this worth it? I'm doing the deal. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to obey God. Is this worth it? And, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of taking these steps, but if I'm honest, God still feels very distant and quiet. And maybe you would even say, man, even in the midst of followers of Jesus, I just feel alone. And, and if you're in that spot, and, and we've all been there at some point, maybe you're in a spot where you're, you're asking yourself some questions and in the waiting, you, you find yourself tempted to give up. Maybe you find yourself tempted to compromise your integrity. God feels silent. He feels quiet. He feels distant. Things haven't gone the way you thought. You feel alone. And, and you're in a spot where you find yourself just tempted to, maybe this isn't worth it. And I'm tempted to kind of compromise in some areas of my life, my integrity. Maybe you find yourself avoiding community. It's, you're, you're in a season, and, and, and it's the season that, man, God feels distant, and so you've kind of distanced yourself from community. Maybe you're at a spot, even in a marriage, where, man, you're at a spot where God seems far away, and you've even thought about walking away from the marriage. Maybe you found yourself trying to maybe find some hope or some comfort or some relief with some destructive habits in this season of, God, are you there? I, I, God, I don't know what you're doing. I feel alone. Maybe you're a young adult and you've been tempted to just sell out to what the culture tells you because you're not sure it's worth it. Because you found yourself in the waiting, you found yourself alone, you found yourself weary, you found yourself in a spot where, man, I'm tempted to give up. Instead of throwing in the towel, it's important that we gain some perspective. Because what I just described, if we're honest, and, and you could put different words to it, and maybe you've been tempted different ways, but throughout our life, every one of us at some point in our life have been tempted to throw in the towel in different areas of our life, to give up. We've gotten tired. We felt alone. We weren't sure what God was doing. We, we felt disappointed, maybe. Maybe we thought, God, you're angry. You're apathetic. God, are you listening? And instead of throwing in the towel, it's important that we gain perspective by reminding ourselves of a few things when we grow weary. And the first thing we need to remind ourselves is of, of is this, and this is something that, that I have to remind myself of as well. We have to remind ourselves that I'm weary when I lose sight of what God has done and focus on what I think he should do. We, we grow weary when we forget what God has done in the past. And we focus on what we think he should do. I, I found myself in that spot. Where it's really, really easy to forget that, man, all the things that God's done. And to grow weary focusing on the things that, man, I think he should do. If I was God, maybe you can relate with that. Maybe for you it's, it's tough to 
remember. And it's tough to be grateful for the things in the past because you're always looking towards the future. Another thing that I think helps us change our perspective and maybe something that we need to remember is I'm weary when I focus my attention on what I don't understand. See, God's uh, smarter than us. That's not new information to you. And, and it's real easy to find ourselves, the things that we don't understand, the things that, man, oh, if I was you, God, I'd fix this. I don't know why you're doing it that way. And we put all of our focus on that. We find ourselves growing weary. We find ourselves anxious. Instead of saying, you know what, God, I'm going to trust that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so I'm going to focus my attention on what is true and not on the things I don't understand because there's a lot of them. And if I spend my time focused on the things I don't understand, I'm going to find myself weary. I'm going to find myself feeling alone. I'm going to find myself wanting to give up. Another thing, I'm weary when I focus on earning what I've already been given. For some of you, you, you grew up in a system of church that told you, you need to do this, and when you do this, God will accept you. And so you need to work, you need to check all the boxes. You need to do all these things, and, and when you do this, you're going to earn God's acceptance, you're going to earn God's love, and you, you just got to do that. And so even though you know that's not necessarily true, you find yourself with that mentality of just always trying to earn God's favor. Instead of what is at more accurate, and what is accurate is instead of working for God's acceptance and serving for God's acceptance... We are to serve from his acceptance. We are to serve from his love. Because we are accepted, we are loved, and it's from that place that we can serve. That we can do good. We don't do good to get God's acceptance. We do, God, do good because we have God's acceptance and love. But when we focus, when we find ourselves focusing on, oh, I've got to earn, earn, I've got to work, work, man, it gets tiring, it gets exhausting. And maybe for some of you, that's, that's why you walked away from the church for a while, because you couldn't keep up with it. You tried to check all the boxes. You tried to, to go to all the right things, and you tried to read all the right things, and you tried to stay away from all the wrong things. And, and I'm not saying those things are bad, but you do that because of God's acceptance, because he loves you, because you are so grateful to him that you want to serve him with your life. You don't do it for all those things. You do it from it. And then the last thing, and I think this is, this is so helpful to remember that I'm weary and I get weary when I forget this isn't all there is. When I forget that eternity is really long and my life is really short, when I forget that, when I forget that there's a much bigger picture, that I'm, I'm part of a much bigger story, when I put too much focus on the, the very small time that I'm here on earth and I forget about eternity, I find myself growing weary. 
anxious when I forget that there is, man, there's a lot more. There's a bigger story. There's a much bigger story. And, and, and you know this, and whether you're online or you're here with us, like you're and I, we're, we're part of a bigger story. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were part of a much bigger story. Mary and Joseph, part of a much bigger story. You and I are part of a much bigger story. And, and, and just like back in, in this time when we're reading about Zechariah and Elizabeth and what was going on in Israel, in every generation, just like in that generation, there's always a remnant of Jesus followers who are faithful, regardless of the ups and downs in life. They, they bring glory to God because they trust his promises, even when he seems silent even when, God, I, I'm not sure what you're doing. God, I feel alone. God, we haven't heard from you. God, it doesn't seem like you're working like I thought you would. There's always a remnant in every generation that even in the midst of uncertainty says, God, I love and trust you. I trust you. And success to those people in every generation is obeying God completely. And trusting him with the outcome. And there's always a remnant. There's always a group of people who are willing to say, I trust you, God. Even when I don't understand. In every generation. And so here's the question. Will you be a part of that remnant in this generation? Will you be a part? You got, man, if we, we live long, we live 100 years. Man, that's like a long life. Maybe, maybe you like break a record and you pop over 100 a little bit. But at the end of the day, let's, let's say we all live to be 100. You know what? Two, three hundred years from now, it's going to be a whole different world. going to be a whole different group of people. And the question is, we, we won't probably be remembered. Their names won't be remembered. Maybe a few, maybe a few things. But at the end of the day, in this generation, there's going to be a group of people that says, you know what? I'm going to trust God. When the culture tells me not to, when I don't understand what God's doing, when I'm disappointed... When, and, and you can fill in all the blanks, all the reasons people would walk away. There's always going to be a group that says, no matter what, I'm going to trust God and obey him. And it's going to be every generation. And so the question is, will you be a part of that remnant in this generation? Will I be a part of that remnant? And, and really there's there's an individual, that's an individual question, but it's also a question for our whole gathering. So will we, will we be individuals that, man, whether we make a bunch of money, whether we have a really nice car, you know, all this stuff the world looks at and says, wow, that's really awesome. Will we be at the end of the day, will we be remembered as people, individuals that said, I believe God, I trust his promises even when things go crazy in the culture or God seems silent or, man, the diagnosis doesn't go the way I thought, the, the disappointment, the aloneness, will I be part of that remnant 
as an individual, but then also as a, as a church. Like, are, are we going to be this, this church one day? And this is sad to say, but at one day, City Walk Church won't be around. Hopefully it's a long time. Hopefully it's hundreds of years. But at the end of the day, the, the church of Ephesus isn't around anymore. The church of Colossae, it's not around anymore. And they had some pretty good leaders. Like Paul was a pretty good guy, but you know what? You can go to Ephesus and you won't find a group of people meeting at the church of Ephesus. It's gone. So the question is, hey, in this generation, will our church be the type of church that gives hope and that gives light and that trusts God and that steps out? And that makes it really, really hard for people in Yuba Sutter to have a hopeless life and spend eternity without God. Will we be that type of church? Will we be that type of individuals? And for us, over this past few weeks, we've been talking about this People Must Know campaign and how we're trying to, man, we have two goals and you guys know this, man, we're trying to plant a new church in Edgewater, new new church location. We're trying to secure a permanent location for ourselves. We rent this place. And we as a church have said, you know what? We're going to step out as a church and we are going to, man, go after these two goals because we think it will help us be salt and light better in this community. Many of you, last year about this time, you made commitments to this campaign And like my family, you're kind of in the middle of your commitment. Next Sunday is our commitment Sunday for those of you that weren't here last year, or maybe maybe you weren't able to be a part of this. Or maybe you're at a spot where, man, you've you've picked up a few side hustles and you made a commitment the last year, but you're like, you know what, I can I can help more. Like this week, I mean literally this week I've talked to about I've talked to two people about two different buildings in this city and just asking God, God. We, we want to reach this community. God, we want to offer more programs for, for people. I, I rode this, this week. I kind of officially became a chaplain for the Yuba City Police Department and was doing a ride along with one of the police officers. And he was just taking me through some of the darker parts of our city, stuff I didn't even know about our city. And I, what I was thinking, and I don't even know if this guy knows Jesus that I was riding with, but here's what I was thinking. All that you're telling me, Jesus is the hope for it. All these issues, the guy we stopped that had fentanyl and and he was a mess, the lady we stopped that, man, was shoplifting, the the neighborhoods we drove through, and he said, yeah, that that house got shot up 10 times last year. All all along, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus can change this. And we want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of it. So in the midst of life, whether it's as an individual or as, or as an entire gathering, man, Satan, his strategy is to discourage us. It's to make us feel weary. It's to make us want to give up, to make us feel like we're the only ones struggling. And instead of growing weary, instead of feeling alone, instead of not engaging in the mission, Paul tells us this in Galatians 6, 9, he says this, He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There is 
a payoff. It will be worth it. But we can't grow weary. One of my favorite Christmas carols is, and we'll sing it probably at some point this month. Maybe you've already listened to it this season. But the the carol, O Holy Night. And there's a line in O Holy Night, and it says this, and you've, you've heard this. The the line is this, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And then it says this, till he appeared. Till he appeared. See, our praying, our agonizing, our working, our waiting, it's not in vain because he appeared and because he will appear again. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for bringing hope. Lord, we we celebrate this season as a church, we celebrate this season as a, as a country and, and literally all over the world. We celebrate this season of Christmas. And in the midst of all the things that go on during Christmas and the busyness of Christmas, we want to just stop at the beginning of December and remember that you appeared. That you appeared and because you appeared, because you came to earth as a man everything changed. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online. Maybe for you, you would say, Chris, I'm, I'm someone who is a follower of Jesus. Uh, there's been a time in my life where I have said yes to Jesus, where I have believed that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior And then I believe that that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. And I put my faith in that. There's a day in my life I remember putting my faith in Jesus. But maybe you would say, Chris, I've grown weary. I've grown weary. Chris, I've had some times where I feel alone. I've had some times where I've struggled. And maybe you would say, I'm in one of those seasons right now. Here's my question for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're online or you're here this morning, in the midst of the aloneness, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the anxiousness, in the midst of the uncertainty, will you be part of the remnant? And here's what I mean. Will you remember the goodness of God and trust in Him even when He seems silent? Even when maybe it's not getting better? Will you believe God? And for you, maybe a real practical thing is is this week as you struggle through the feelings of aloneness or just waiting on God, maybe it would be good for you just to take out a journal Maybe it's open up a document on your computer and just begin to list how you've seen God work in your life over the past few years. And just begin to list them. Begin to think about them. Begin to think about how God has shown up for you in big and small ways. 
And take that document, take that page in your journal and just go back to that. Maybe daily. And as God does things this next year, just continue to add things to that list. And so even if the diagnosis doesn't change, and even if the relationship is never healed, and even if that aloneness doesn't all go away quickly, you can go back to that document and say, in the midst of the uncertainty, the aloneness, I'm going to trust that my God is good. And I'm going to believe him like so many have that have gone before us. Maybe you're here and you would say, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Chris, I'm watching online or you're here with us this morning and you'd say, you know what, for whatever reason, Chris, I haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. Well, one of the beautiful parts of the Christmas story is that Jesus came to give hope. He came to walk with us through the tough times. In fact, he went through great suffering himself to bring us that hope. And there's really no better time to start a relationship with Jesus than, man, at Christmas. What better time? You say, Chris, how would I do that? How would I start a relationship with God? Well, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, are you willing to just admit to God that you're a sinner, that you've disobeyed him, that you've done things your way? If so, just tell him, just from your heart to his, God, I admit Man, I've done things my own way. Just tell him. And then just tell him, God, I believe. I believe that Jesus came, that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose again for me. Just tell God. And then just invite him. Say, God, would you come into my life? I want a relationship with you. Transform me now. Just tell him. If you did that, or maybe you have questions about that decision, you can. there's a card right in front of you if you're here with us this morning. It just says decision. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus, to start a relationship with him today, just fill that card out, put it in the offering box. We'll call you this week. Just want to make sure you understand your decision. Maybe you're watching online and you made that decision or you have questions. Just Go to citywalk.cc and there's actually a decision card for you as well. God, I pray that you would help us in the midst of a world that, man, isn't always going well, in the midst of lives that things don't always go the way we're planned, in the midst of moments where we feel alone, God, I pray that we would, like Zachariah, like Elizabeth, like so many before us, that we would trust you and your good hand in our life and that we would obey in Jesus' name. Amen.